John verses 1 and 2. The elder unto the well beloved Gaius, who I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prosper. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We want to extend an invitation to each and every person who might be visiting to please come again. We would be delighted to have you back with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking today at 3 John, and the theme of our study today is the measure of a man. There are a lot of people in our world today that if you were to ask them what makes a man or woman complete, in other words, what is it about them that makes them stand out and be somebody, they might very well tell you that it has to do with their profession, the type of job that they have. For others, they might say, well, because of their vast bank account, their material holdings, they are something. They are a pillar in the community. There are a lot of people in our world today that accentuate the physical when it comes to the measure of a man or woman. And yet I believe that what really makes a man or woman is not so much that which is outward in nature, but rather that which is inward in nature. And I believe that this is reflected in the life of a man by the name of Gaius, a man that the Apostle John speaks of in 3 John verse 1 and following. So today we think about the measure of a man. And as we think about the measure of a man, the first thing that I call your attention to is John's fondness for Gaius. We're talking about his affection. That is, his passion for a saint. John has been called the Apostle of Love, and if you read his biographical sketch of the life of Jesus as well as his other writings, you'll see that he emphasizes love over and over again. But in this particular epistle, he speaks of his great love for this man named Gaius. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, he writes to the elder, to the beloved, or well-beloved, as some translations state it, Gaius. And then you can drop down to verse 5. Again, he speaks of his beloved. In verse 2, beloved, I pray or wish above all things. And so John had genuine affection for this man who was a brother in Christ. Two things that come to mind regarding the affection that he had for this particular saint, first of which has to do with his fellowship in Christ. This was a man that was a believer. John writes to the elder, or rather the elder, to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. There is something special about God's people. Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 1 that we are people of like precious faith. There is a common bond, a tie that brings us together. And ultimately that which welds us together or unites us is our relationship 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are said to be brethren. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so he enjoyed fellowship in Christ with this man. When the church began on Pentecost Day, it was said of the ancient disciples that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, according to Luke and Acts 2, verse 42. Fellowship was an important aspect of the early church, and certainly it is today. But not only do we think about his fellowship in Christ, but his friendship in Christ. Some of the dearest friends that you will ever make on this earth are people that belong to the body of Jesus Christ. I think about the close relationship that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 18 talks about how there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And no doubt there are people in Christ that we associate with, that we love and appreciate, that are like a person that really is like, it's like a family member. It's like somebody who is of your own flesh and blood. And that's, that's the way John viewed Gaius. As somebody that he appreciated and loved. And so as we think about his fondness for Gaius, we're reminded of the fellowship that existed in Christ and then the friendship that permeates the body of Christ and how grateful we should be for those that we call brothers and sisters in Christ. But then secondly, I want us to think about the fortune of Gaius. And now we're talking about his prosperity. Gaius was a prosperous man, but not prosperous in the sense that you may be thinking of. For, exa for example, look if you would at verse 2. John writes, Beloved, I pray or wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. There have been a lot of people that have questioned the physical health of this man named Gaius. It may have very well been the case that he was not the healthiest of individuals. Others have speculated concerning his material situation in life. There are a lot of people that belong to the body of Christ. They're good people, but they have poor health. They have physical ailments. They have physical disabilities. There are a lot of people that belong to the body of Christ that, from a financial vantage point, do not have very much. And so, outwardly speaking, we talk about how little they may have. And if you were to, to sum up the life of, of Gaius, that is quite possibly the way you would sum it up. Here was a man who had very little. But note, if you would, what is said about his soul. Beloved, I pray or wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Outwardly, Gaius may have been struggling. His health may not have been the best in the world. Financially speaking, he may have had some problems, some adversities. But spiritually speaking, all was well in the life of this man named 
Gaius. We sang just a moment ago, it is well with my soul. And I believe that Gaius could have, he could have sung that song with deep conviction. Because here was a man who from a spiritual standpoint had everything going for him. And we might ask the question today, what about you, spiritually speaking? It might be the case that financially all is well. Maybe you have a lot of money in the bank. Maybe you have a great financial portfolio. Maybe your health is, is A1, and that's great. But what about spiritually speaking? I said a moment ago that when we talk about the measure of a man or woman, that there are certain things that people use to gauge the measure of a man or woman. And typically, typically those things are physical, outward, in nature. How then would you measure the soul? Can you measure the soul? Is it something that you can place upon a weight and determine how much the soul weighs? No. What about taking a, a tape measure? Could you take a tape measure or a ruler and determine the dimensions of the soul of man? No. Would it be possible to place the soul under a microscope and again identify the dimensions of the soul of man? Again, the answer would be no can't do that but it is possible to measure the soul you might ask the question how then can you measure the soul of man let me offer these suggestions number one it is measured by the height of its ambitions in other words, when you talk about the soul and you talk about the inward man, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we are called upon to do big things for the cause of Christ. When Jesus Christ came into this world, he came into the world to accomplish great and big things for the Heavenly Father. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. In John 4, verse 34, He said, My food, my meat, is to do the will of the Father who sent me. In John 6, verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. The whole redemptive plan was placed on the shoulders of God's only Son. And so you think about those of us who belong to the body of Christ. And we, we're talking primarily about measuring the soul of man. One way we can measure the soul of man is by the height of its ambitions. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In order for us to accomplish this task, we have to think in a big way. We're living in a world with a population that exceeds 6 billion souls. I can't fathom 6 billion people. How then are we going to do that? Are we going to go door to door? Do we have the manpower to go door to door? Probably not. While door knocking is 
is certainly advantageous. It's not the only way. Are we then going to sit down one-on-one with every person across the kitchen table and talk to them about the gospel of Christ? We don't have the manpower. But we do have radio, television, satellite television, the internet. We have opportunities to advance the cause of Christ. But in order to do that, we have to think big. And so those of us that belong to the body of Christ, we have to be people of big or large ambitions. But then secondly, the soul can be measured by the depth of its convictions. Look again at what is said about John, or rather said by John about Gaius. John writes to the elder, or rather the elder to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray or wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And then he goes on to say, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I believe that John was writing to a man who had some convictions about the truth of Almighty God. How deep are your convictions? Could you be swayed in terms of what you believe, in terms of what you practice? Paul talks about those who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You and I need to be people of conviction. One of the ways that we can measure the soul of man is by looking at the depth of our convictions. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart always and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You and I need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to be like the people in the first century who said in the long ago when challenged to recant what they believed, to recant their discipleship, they said, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Do we have that kind of rock-solid conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ? And then thirdly, we can measure the soul by the length of its love. John was the apostle of love. Gaius was a man who certainly demonstrated love toward others. Look at verse 5, beloved. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. How much do you love the Lord? Do you genuinely love Him with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Is it reflected in the way you live and the way you act in your speech? Is your life about living for God? Can you echo with Paul in the long ago, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you genuinely love the Lord? What about the church? Do you love the church? The Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How much do we love the church? 
If we love the church, doesn't it stand to reason that we will do everything within our power to build up and exalt the body of Christ? After all, the church is the bride of Christ. The church exists to bring honor and glory to God, according to Ephesians 3 at verse 21. When you and I demonstrate our love for one another, when we demonstrate love in the home, when love permeates our lives, then we are, in effect, setting forth a proper gauge for our soul. That is, by way of measuring. But then also, let me suggest that you and I, we can measure the soul by the breath of its surface. Look again at the life of Gaius. I believe that Gaius was a servant of the Lord. In verse 8 again, John writes, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Here was a man who was supportive, probably to some degree, to the evangelistic efforts of other members of the body of Christ. In other words, he was aiding them or supporting them in some capacity. What about us? Do we view ourselves as servants of the Most High God? Let me just ask this question. Are you on fire for the Lord? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What the Lord needs is men and women who are on fire for His cause. Now, on the other hand, there are some people who instead of being on fire for the Lord are fizzling in His service. They're not working at all. Jesus asked a question in Matthew chapter 20 at verse 6. Why do you stand here idle all day? That's a good question. Why would anyone be idle in the kingdom of God? After all, we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Our lives are to be characteristic of working in God's kingdom. And the very works that we do ultimately bring honor and glory to God, Matthew 5, verse 16. And then finally, we can measure the soul by the weight of its influence. How influential are you for the cause of Christ? Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 13, that we are the salt of the earth. Salt is leaven. It ultimately permeates and preserves. He goes on to say in that same context that we are the light of the world. Are you radiating the light of Christ in your life? When we talk about measuring the soul, these are some earmarks to help us gauge whether or not our soul is what it ought to be. You see... It's not always what you see in life that sums up the life of an individual. Paul talks about the outward man versus the inward man in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Let me close by asking this question. If you were to sum up your life, 
If somebody were to evaluate your life, what would they say? Externally, as I said a moment ago, it may be that all is well. It may be that that you have things going your way financially, professionally. It might be the case that academically everything is just rolling along right as it should be. It might be that your home life is wonderful and that's great. What about your soul? What about the inward part of you? How prosperous is your soul? If you're not a Christian, then what you need to do is obey the gospel. Because externally, outwardly, everything may be fine, but internally, that's not the case. So you need to come to Christ today. What would that entail? First of all, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. And then repent of every sin, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Acts 8, verse 37. The Bible then says we are to be baptized into Christ so that our sins might be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. If you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, maybe your soul is not what it should be. Why not come home to the Lord? Let us pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing for your encouragement.